0: Content warning. This episode contains intense sound design and screams. First of all, I'd just like to thank you for listening at all. Uh, it's been a bit of a gap between episodes. I've been doing a degree, which I hope makes the episodes better. And I think that I've been approaching them differently. Um, the second point I'd like to make is that uh, there is a content warning on this episode. Um Uh, I'll put the timecode in the description, but there are references to suicide and attempted suicide. If you are struggling with any of these feelings, please, please do not hesitate to um, call a hotline or a helpline. No feeling is final, and there are always going to be ups and downs, but it is never worth it to just end it. You matter. I will put a link to a list of uh, suicide hotlines in the show notes. Please, look after yourself. And with that out of the way... Uh, Please enjoy the episode.
1: My ears ring and ring with an incessant whine. An engine I was working on exploded on me once. The shock and sensation is kind of like that. My body refuses to breathe, see, hear, focus on anything before it comes to terms with what's happened. My vision focuses and I see Adam hurriedly bring me to my feet, illuminated by the shining golden light the only light source in an otherwise pitch-black space of some kind. He says something to me. I can see that he's saying something to me. The last thing I remember was stepping through that portal nestled in the corpse of a god. The golden substance came out to meet us, thin, glowing tendrils snaking around our arms. I remember looking Lamralis in her eyes before she... Lamralis! I scream rushing back towards the portal that sits in a crack in a white stone wall. Adam grabs my shoulder and painfully wrenches me back, and I stumble away. He takes a step forward and feels out the edges.
0: We've got to figure out a way to close this thing.
1: He says, slightly more audibly. She's
0: making a sacrifice for something far greater than herself. It's what all fames aspire to. Thames? Come on. You can't tell me you were that blinded by love. Gilbert dropped the act once the city was attacked. He
1: takes a step back and throws his hands up in exasperation.
0: Fuck knows. I feel out the edges of the portal for something, some kind of source or weakness. I step back and get a look at the whole thing. I shrug. <sighs> Fuck knows. I turn to Ikrin to so has stood there, blinking and clicking next to their ears. Ah, of course. My first time through a portal, the change in pressure and general dimensional weirdness popped my ears and dazed me a bit. Something wriggles in the back of my mind, and I push it away. Ikrinth, I begin, but notice no response. Ikrinth, I say a little louder. They look up at me. Suddenly, the thin lines of golden light that pulled us in stretch across and begin to interlink with each other, pulling the portal across and closing itself. It feels almost organic, unevenly meeting at points, like watching a time-lapse of a wound heal. It's completely unlike anything I've seen before. I imagine it's the same for Ikrin. They've probably only left their home planet a handful of times. Comprehending something like this must be totally occupying their mind.
1: As the golden shimmering portal begins to close itself, like the threads of a torn garment pulling together as the needle is pulled away, my last hope of ever seeing Langrallis again disappears before my eyes. As the light wavers through the last pinpricks of gold in the white stone wall, something... severs... Some hidden, invisible connection disappears with the last shimmering beams of light. I feel a terrible sense of anxiety, worse than any I have felt before. Normally, when I worry, the fear is directed towards something, but this time it seemingly has no source. I am just fearful. I begin to breathe in and out. Over and over. I lose control of my breathing and I freeze in place. I don't want to be here, but I don't want to be moved.
0: Ikrinth, I am here, I am with you.
1: He slowly crouches down in front of me into my vision.
0: How about we sit down?
1: I slump to the ground.
0: Breathe with me, please.
1: He begins to breathe slowly. In through his nose and out through his mouth. And I begin to follow along. Where are we, Adam? I ask, finally gathering myself again. I search out for him in the dark. I hear him rustle and stand.
0: I am truly sorry to have brought you here with me, Igrinth.
1: And here is... I prompt. He goes over to the other side of the room and begins to pull away at some plants that cover the wall, rustling and tearing and throwing them to the ground. He pulls away a vine and a bright, clear stream of light fills the room, highlighting the dust and bits of plant that float around carelessly in the air. It would seem the plants aren't covering the wall, but are the wall. I can now see his face. The light gives his skin a golden shimmer.
0: Welcome to Eden.
1: Adam squeezes through the wound-shaped gap in the foliage, and I follow him through.
0: Eden is extremely hard to look at, both emotionally and physically. I can only use analogy to try and parse its nature. There are consistent elements that make it up, perfectly hewn white stone choked by vegetation and decay, rot and bursting, bustling life that springs forth from the cracked stone. There are two sections, definitely separate. One encircles the other, a gap of some kind between the two. But they are also connected somehow. One floats, while the other sits below it, connected by some tether. It is also so close it almost touches. White stone, barely distinguishable from white stone. I turn my head and see it in a different form, like looking at something through a multifaceted crystal. I am looking at one entity, but seeing it through a lens which shows it in many forms. Similar, but also different. We exit a cave that sits on the edge of a large cliff which slopes down between the border of the two. A vast jungle flows out before us toward the centre of Eden. The second section. We stand in the first section. Hanging above us is a huge black void that fills a portion of the sky like an eclipse. From it emanates blue-green streaks of light that dance ferociously above us like battling leviathans. The rest of the heavens are a wide grey canvas of swirling fonts of light and a thick soup of pollen, moisture and dust that sits in the air. I had expected this journey to end in Eden, but to actually end up here. I look at my hands. The usually nigh unnoticeable golden shimmer is quite aggressive. I catch Ikrin staring.
1: As we stand fully in the light which saturates Eden, coming from no discernible source, the shimmer on Adam's skin appears even stronger. The greys of his eyes seem darker, and the lines that arc across either eye stand out even more. His horns, though, usually a fully opaque, black, glass like material, have a new internal texture, almost crystalline, filled with lines and patterns. It's mesmerising. He looks at me staring. I quickly look away, ashamed of my curiosity. So, what now? Where to from here?
0: I'm going to be fully honest with you, Iquinth. I wasn't expected to come back from this. I thought my journey would end in Eden, just as it began. Obviously. He gestures to me. This is a complication.
1: I don't understand. I, I thought you couldn't die.
0: There are more ways for a journey to end than with just death.
1: So that was going to be it then? You'd show up, stop this entity and spend the rest of time here?
0: Something like that.
1: So we're stuck.
0: There could be a way out. Eden is vast and mysterious. This is one of the places that the gods carry out their divine experiments. I will try my best to get you out, but it takes a lot to shift someone to and from Eden.
1: Don't you know where this stuff would be? Aren't you from here?
0: Do you know everything about your planet? About your city, even? There's things going on right under your nose that you'll never know about. And as it is above...
1: So, when, out If, If you need to leave me here and go do what you need to do, I'll...
0: How selfless of them, how wonderfully virtuous this person standing before me is. Young and fresh-faced, shaking slightly from shock, with a face beginning to flush from the heat. I'm not going to leave you here.
1: I can look after myself. My father taught me a few things about surviving in the wilderness.
0: This isn't the wilderness.
1: I mean, sure apart from the fact that it looks, smells and sounds like the wilderness.
0: There are things out here I can't even describe, creatures so dangerous the gods would intervene if they came near us. This garden is filled with every type of animal and plant and entity in the universe and some things beyond even that. What you're seeing here is a realm that I've never been to and I'll never be here again. It's not like you can walk a kilometre, turn 180 degrees and walk back to where you started. Eden is an impossible place, filled with impossible things.
1: Right, fine, I get it. Big, scary jungle, big, scary monsters. It's not a...
0: Look, I'm not trying to be a teacher or a parent here, I just don't want you to die, okay?
1: No, that's okay. I will defer to your knowledge of a place you said you didn't know very well.
0: The humour catches me off guard. They flash me a smirk and I smile back. I try to mask the sadness behind it, but I find it tough. No one deserves to die so far from home, so alone, least of all Ikrith. Come on, let's go. I begin to shuffle down the steep, rocky incline we find ourselves at the top of, sitting down on a stone edge and dropping down a few feet. I turn around and hold out a hand to Ikrith, who ignores it and drops down on their own, being both an Adrelyne and also significantly taller than me. We cautiously begin to shuffle down the hill, gripping onto roots and small plants to stop ourselves from tumbling down.
1: So... uh. How... How are you going to stop this entity, then? I watch him struggle with the questions, and... Also, with the incline. You're
0: just full of questions, aren't you?
1: I give him a bemused smirk and gesture around me to the best of my ability, while still getting down the incline. I've just been... thrown into a realm... that I had previously... only heard of... through myth. We're currently... Chasing down an entity whose name I seem to know really well without actually knowing where from. One that you seem to be totally terrified of and can also somehow possess people and incapacitate a god. So I think I'm pretty within my rights to be full of questions.
0: Sorry. Yeah, I've got a lot going on right now. He
1: gestures to his temple and waves his fingers around.
0: If I'm being totally honest I don't know what I have to do, what it will take to stop him. Like most of my life I've just been given a task by a higher power and not in a weird organised religion pilgrimage way, I mean a literal god told me I had to find this entity and that something was guiding me to stop it. So I just kind of figured I'd get there and something would happen. We reach the bottom of the incline and I dust myself off. It's funny seeing Ikrin's personality completely change with the absence of Lanralis. They're starting to seem less and less shy, not so fearful of being perceived a fool. We begin to enter the jungle proper, and we have to very carefully consider each step.
1: Oh. Must be nice, though, to have the divine favour like that, to not, to not have to fear for death.
0: Icarinth says, working their boot over a gnarled root which arcs out of the wet soil and back down again. As your life is now, sure, for a great deal of time, I was exiled to desolate planets given no contact with anyone or anything i mean i've never even been to earth and with those civilizations achieving space travel for a great deal of time i was alone the thing you have to understand about my immortality is that it is inherent to who i am it, it cannot be taken away with the other immortals the council has under its control they will eventually be allowed to die the gods have a set amount of time that they feel they deserve to suffer this curse but not for the five of us who came from Eden.
1: Since he brought it up, I realized I should probably not ask as many questions as I had been. He seems to have a terrible burden on his shoulders, but with every sentence in speech, I am left wondering more and more. Which five?
0: Me, Might upon Serenity, Inherent Virtue, Anamir and Tyre.
1: Not Eve, I ask, and almost immediately see it was a bad idea to bring her up. No. He says looking out to the centre of Eden.
0: Not Eve.
1: He pauses for a little while. The world around us continues. The winds and buzzing and rustling of the jungle around us continues, but... he seems awfully still.
0: White was allowed to be with her people for her loyalty to the gods, if one could call it that. Inherent was sent away somewhere. I haven't heard from him in a long, long time. Last I knew he was starting some group of warriors somewhere. I'm sure you already know the story of Anamir and Tyre.
1: My family didn't particularly lean into the traditions of the old ways. We put a lot of credence into the magics and the sciences as much as those two were becoming blurred. But the story of Anamir and Tyre was hard to not know. The first Theatorians. Pulled apart after the fall of Hrothalion or Freyworm or Eden, depending on who you ask. Thrown to opposite ends of the galaxy and destined to eternally search for each other. Reduced to nothing more than a sad analogy for lovers yet to be. Until the Veatorians discovered that it was true.
0: Tell me about you, I ask as we enter a clearing. A pair of small, furry creatures play-fight in the tall grass.
1: There's not a lot to tell, really. <laughs> I, uh
0: The prince stops as they spot the things darting between various swords, pole arms and other types of weapons thrust into the soil. A red ribbon is tied to the hilt or handle of each, and they flitter and dance in the wind, dropping and rising, seemingly at random. On each is scrawled some writing, something in the divine script of which I have no understanding.
1: I thought you said you'd never been here.
0: I haven't. My section of Eden was made inaccessible. This wasn't any of us. The writing looks divine, so I'm assuming this is a god's work, some strange experiment. Best not go near them.
1: I kind of want one. Why? Because my rifle and visual ink are malfunctioning, and you have instilled the fear of Eden into me, and so I would like to be able to defend myself. <laughs> and also, swords are cool. And if I'm going to risk my life following Adam along, I at least want something out of it. He thinks for a moment. You're right. We walk over together and look at each one, deciding which suits us best.
0: There's always something to tell, Icrinth.
1: My story just isn't unique. I'm just an Adrelite from an unremarkable city on an unremarkable planet in an unremarkable system.
0: And yet you're standing in the cradle of life itself, talking to one of the oldest non-divine beings in the universe. There are no unremarkable people. Everyone has a story. It's just about how you tell it."
1: Adam pulls a halberd of some sort out of the ground, just a touch taller than him. The pole itself is carved from a black wood. Around it is wrapped a variety of charms and necklaces and other small trophies. The axe part is curved like a crescent moon and the blade is long and flat like a dagger. I
0: swear I won't lose this one.
1: He says under his breath. I draw a sword from the soil. It's a simple design, a basic T-shaped crossguard atop a simple handle, but... The blade... The blade is...
0: Ikrint's sword is incredible. It has an almost imperceptible geometric pattern that scatters across the blade, which is a deep, black colour. Were it not for this pattern, it would look as if there was a void coming from Ikrint's hand. I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little jealous. You carry it well. It looks natural. Have you used one before?
1: I've got the standard unarmed combat lessons from Agilite training. And I used to go to Umpoliahis when I was younger. The children's one at least. They'd have bits where the kids could join in.
0: I- I'm not familiar. What is that? A, f- a festival?
1: They're like historical reenactments of ancient battles from a time before Veatorians ever left Aristophys. And we were all fighting with swords and spears and um uh, keen.
0: They do a swinging motion with one hand. Warhammers. That's it. Do you want to do a quick duel just to get a handle on the basics? Non-lethal.
1: <laughs> well, it would be non-lethal for you, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, but I'd rather not lose a hand or something.
1: Understandable.
0: We both take a stance a few meters away from each other. Ikrinth raises their sword above their head, pointed at me in ox guard. I point the blade of my halberd away in an ebonhut guard. You're one only, then I say, starting to circle around the space.
1: How could you tell?
0: They lunge at me, swinging <gasps> the sword down at my legs. I meet it with the blade of my axe and push it away. They use the momentum to swing over toward my head. I meet it again with the gap between the axe and dagger blade. I push them away, taking a few steps back, and we circle each other again. You have an accent when you speak Viatorian. And you use different words for things. Is Mpuliajes a Winonian thing?
1: Winonian, yeah. The uh, habit do something similar, but it's, it's more theatre and fiction. It's been a long-standing tradition for a great deal of time. I'm surprised you've not come across it before.
0: I dash forward and swing my halberd overhead. Ikrin steps to the side and throws out a stab at my combat mould. I use the end of the handle and bat it away, and twist the halberd as I bring it towards Ikrin's underarm, who absorbs the energy from the swing by catching the parts of the handle closest to the axe blade with their upper arm. They wince in pain. I drop my guard and go to put my hand on their shoulder. Oh, Ikrin, I'm so sorry, are you... The expression of pain <laughs> drops, and they throw a few brutal swings at me with their sword. I scramble to put some distance between us. Sneaky.
1: <laughs> I guess it's in your best interest not to underestimate me anymore.
0: I definitely won't make that mistake again. When we first met, I definitely misread you. I guess you were on duty, then.
1: And the rounder, now, Malice.
0: takes a vom tag stance, raising the sword above their head, pommel facing me. I drop my defensive stance and frown. Ikrinth lowers the sword and furrows their brow.
1: Everything okay? I'm
0: so sorry, Ikrinth. I I shouldn't have brought you here. I worry I've taken your life away from you. You're supposed to just be doing normal things in your city. Nursing a heartbreak and getting drunk and high and doing hobbies and just living. And instead, you're here in Eden, caught up in my mess.
1: I will admit this was unexpected. But I want you to promise me... That you will get me out of here. And that you will get yourself out as well. I don't think you should resign yourself to an end so readily. Surely a life as lengthy as yours has some unfinished business.
0: They're right. I have countless lifetimes of loose ends. I just hadn't expected to be able to get on with it. I thought my story would end in Eden as it began. I promise you, Ikrinth, we will leave this place together. They put out their hand.
1: This is a thing humans do, right? Shake hands.
0: Handshakes, yeah, though it's not really a cultural thing for me. I wasn't raised on her. I take their hand. Actually, I wasn't really raised at all. I kind of skipped adolescence and just formed as I am.
1: (laughs) You lucked out with that. So I've heard. We continue on. A mountain stands tall to the left of us. The ground becomes more uneven. Occasionally, a creature will scamper overhead or some beast will cry out. An entire ecosystem exists here. A fully lived-in world beyond the scope of anything anyone could possibly have imagined. The lights which proceed from that void in the sky have started to retract back into it. Adam motions up to a small outcropping on the mountain.
0: We should stop for a bit. I feel safer if we rest a bit higher up.
1: There's a sort of natural path formed up the side of the mountain, and we have little trouble getting up there. Adam uses his halberd as a walking stick. I put my sword on one of the various loops on my Adrolyte uniform. We trudge up the hill for a bit and reach the outcropping, which sits just in front of a tall, narrow cave entrance. There's a collection of bushes with strange yellow fruits hanging delicately from unusually straight branches that stop the wind from totally throwing us about. We stand at the entrance to the cave, the smell of wet moss strong in our nostrils. Adam sighs.
0: I'm starting to wish I'd let you pack up.
1: Yeah. And I wish I ignored you. Do
0: you think we could start a fire with that?
1: He gestures to my now defunct rifle. What? Just gather up some logs and open fire? I
0: laugh. No, I mean the inner workings of it. There's got to be a battery and wires somewhere, right?
1: While Adam goes out looking for dry wood and leaves, I work on dismantling the rifle. I remove the scope and take off as many of the components as the design would allow. There's an internal battery which sends a signal to the round in the chamber. The whole thing works off electrical signals. There's no actual combustion involved with non-lethal rounds. After a little bit of effort, I have a working fire starter. Adam returns with a healthy pile of logs, and a little while later we're huddled around a warm fire. We don't talk. I don't particularly feel like talking, and either Adam can see that in me or he doesn't either. We just sit in front of a crackling fire which spits and pops every so often, the smoke from the sweet-smelling wood replacing the dank smell of wet moss. I don't remember falling asleep, but when I open my eyes, Adam is gone and the fire has completely gone out. Outside, the sky is filled with those dancing blue-green trails of light. I stand up and stretch off my sleep shrugging off the neck pain and strange soreness I seem to feel all over my body. I guess it's what comes from sleeping on a stone floor. I go outside and look out at Eden. Off in the distance, I see great stone structures rising out over the horizon. I don't remember seeing them there before, but up until now, I hadn't really had a chance to stop and just... breathe. Breathe. It's remarkably still. Something just gives me the impression that it has not changed much at all in however long it has existed. Just as I begin to wonder where Adam has got to, a stone tumbles down from above and I look up. High up the mountain, I see Adam scrambling up its rocky face. He reaches a plateau and I start to follow him, out of curiosity more than anything. He seems so natural here. The terrain suits him so well. I, on the other hand, hate heights. Don't look down. It's as simple as that. Just just imagine there isn't a huge drop beneath you. I look toward the center of Eden and feel an intense sense of vertigo at its impossible shape, the incomprehensible order, edges and vertices skittering out across the infinite, light rebounding between the two of us like a wordless conversation. I put my chest against the mossy stone wall of the incline. Don't look sideways either. I scramble up and reach the plateau Adam is on. There's a mini trench made by two sheer stone walls that lean away. I crouch behind a naturally made, if anything here can be called natural, alcove, and peek out at Adam. He's on his knees, facing out towards Eden's center. He seems to be talking to someone. I can't see anyone there, though.
0: It's funny, finding myself here again. I thought I'd managed to move on at least a bit every time I I look at that sky, it brings back another memory of you and it opens the wound again. You know, for the first few thousand years, all I wanted was to die. I begged for death. I, I craved it. It was all I could think of until until eventually I cleared it away and began to accept who I was now and what I had become. When I talk to some of the more recent immortals, they'll tell me that eventually they became desensitized to it all the inevitable end of all things, the horrors of the universe they have been forced to witness over and over. They'll tell you it means less and less with each tragedy. But it's not true. They're lying to themselves. I still feel it. I still remember every horrific thing I've seen, all the people I cared about that eventually died or grew into someone I didn't recognise, all the people I have failed. And I feel it. A silent creeping voice, a, a wash of emotion and I decide I don't want to be here anymore. I want to die. I am so overwhelmed and I just want it to stop. I have tried to make it stop. I have consulted every shaman and scientist I could find but I can't. I remain tethered here forever and I just can't take it. I can't deal with all of this. Everything. I have experienced every horror and pain, and I just don't want to be here anymore. I want to join you. I know I'll never see you again, not in any other life, but at least in some way, I'll be sharing something with you, you know? Oh Eve, I'm sorry, I'm so, so sorry.
1: My stomach drops as I realize I really shouldn't be here for this. I shuffle away from the alcove and stumble slightly. His head whips around and we lock eyes for a second. In those dark pools of grey I see a deep, hollowing sadness. And for a fraction of a second in there I also see a terrible rage. A rage so great my entire body goes cold and the hairs on the back of my neck stand. In that moment I see him from an entirely new perspective. I see him for what he actually is, an immortal and unstoppable being. I see the potential for terrible atrocities. What would happen if one day he snapped? What would it take? For the first time, I look at Adam, and I fear him. And then in another moment, that great rage is gone. I... I... I, I I'm sorry. I, I thought... I, I'll go. I say, as I turn and hurry away. Hey,
0: Prince. wait.
1: He begins, but I don't wait. I very much don't want to be near him.
0: Icarinth rushes to scramble to get away, and I follow. Please wait, I call out, but they've gone around the side of the mountain, following a flat part which juts out slightly, forming a path of some kind. I follow briskly. More than anything, I'm embarrassed. I didn't lash out, but I can't imagine they didn't see the expression on my face when I turned to see them. I was angry. Of course I was, but I... The path straightens out, and I see Icarinth. They reach a cliff just ahead, and they peer over, judging, I assume, to see how easy it would be to scramble down. How sheer the drop. Ikrid, please, just just stop and, and listen to me. With a panicked emergency, they draw their sword and step back. Not away from me, though. Away from the edge. It suddenly rushes up from below, scrambling along the wall with its strange claws. I hear a ferocious whirlwind of fabric and a desperate scamper of claw on stone as it throws itself up. Swathed in robes, soaked in a black sludge, it hovers for a moment in front of us. Ten feet of hanging fabric and pure power and strength. A pair of wings slowly extend from behind it, shards of black glass, which seem to absorb the light from around them. I know this thing to be an angel, or at least it was one once. There is a certain animal grace to an angel, like that of an elk or a bear. They exist as if there is nowhere else for them to be, as if nothing could move them from the space they currently stand in except their own will. This shivers and shakes, unsure of its place in the universe. It doesn't fit into its surroundings. This was, perhaps, an angel once, but its powerful robes, which should have covered its form, shielding us from its face, now sit loosely around it, torn and sullied by this strange, oily substance. Its head is entirely uncovered to reveal a long skull of some kind. As if sculpted by hand, it has grooves which arc up its cheeks and around to the back of its head. The fangs, which sit in its tightly closed jaw, struggle to contain more of this thick, oily substance which seeps through. From each of its four eye sockets, a faint point of golden light flickers slightly. Black tears stream down its face. The black shards of its wings phase out and it drops, shakily landing on the edge of the cliff face and scuttling forward. Icarith takes several panic steps back. The angel scuttles forward on four long, bone-white arms ending in sharp, vicious claws in a set of digitigrade legs, like that of a dog or a rodent. It stops when it sees me, throws its head up and hacks up a huge globule of oil which splats in front of it it gargles and opens its fanged jaw as it speaks the voice seems to call from deep within it and its jaw stays open Eat him. Eat him. Goes to say another word, but it begins to gag as another thick flux of oily sludge forces itself up its throat.
2: Once I was fair. A brown angel of Epicurosa I possessed. Beauty and power. I have no need for a tongue. You have afflicted me with base speech and reduced me to a beast which slivers upon its belly. You have reduced me to the status of a demon.
0: It throws itself up onto its hind legs.
2: I possess beauty. Witness the result of defiance of divine authority. Look upon me, Adam. Dost thou see?
0: It brings itself low to the ground again and begins to scamper toward me. Suddenly, a terrible thudding begins. I feel it in my chest. It feels almost as if it thunders in a way to offset the beating of my heart. Icarinth brings their sword down onto its neck. The Corrupted Angel screeches and bats them away, knocking them to the ground. It hunches over
2: them. If thou had witnessed the destruction of the mortal realms of Eden brought by Adam, ah, thy aid would not come so easily child of
0: every hero's son. It turns back to me, just in time to catch the thrust of my halberd in its neck. I push up and to the sides, trying to wrestle with it. Get the fuck away from them, you oily bastard! The noise is almost unmanageable now. The pressure pushing down on my ears. I look up at its skull and it screeches in my face. I hate it. I hate it so much. This reminder of my past. My chest shakes with rage. It has hurt this poor, innocent child. I had them in my care and I failed. My rage turns inwards also. I am angry. I am scared. Driven by these feelings, I rest it to the ground and pull my polearm from its neck. Using my foot on its skull as purchase, I bring the point down into its neck over and over. More sludge seeping from the cracks in the bones. I step away, and go to decapitate it with the axe blade. I bring it over my head, and it opens its jaw one last time.
2: Be witness now, child and grows up. Now he deals with his mistakes. Be witness now to what he is capable of for.
0: Shut up, I say, as I bring the halberd down upon its neck with my full might. Narration by Briar Zachary and Kai Gwinnon Pritchard. Ikrinth was played by Briar Zachary. Corrupted Angel was played by Joe Cruz, with supplementary screams from Travis Yu. Score was by Grimwright and Dinas. Sound design, writing, and Adam Delta 5 was by Kai Gwilym Pritchard. Email us at chainofbeingofficial at gmail.com and follow the podcast on Twitter at chainofbeing. We are, as always, a proud member of the Faustian Nonsense Network. Thanks for listening.